Four-game series on deck against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Is this a good or bad time to be playing the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are coming into the series with nine L's on the spin? Time to get into on today's Locked On Marlins. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England, sunny England, and welcome to Locked On Marlins. This, of course, is your daily Marlins podcast. I am your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. All bandwagoners are welcome. Uh, if you listen to the pod, this, of course, is your team every day. And thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. There is a YouTube channel also. I strongly recommend you head on over there. I strongly, strongly recommend you hit subscribe to. We are trending with the subs. And thank you to all the everydayers, everyone that comments on the YouTube comment section. A lot of people loved yesterday's episode, and they loved the guest. Ryan absolutely smashed it up. One of the most talented 13-year-old kids, I think, out there. An absolute stud, no doubt about it. For those that aren't watching and they're wondering, does Pete have another guest again today? Yes, he does. It is Thursday, but it feels like a Monday for some. The UK GOAT, Sean Barrett, in the house. Sean, how are we doing, brother? Yeah, good to be on, Pete. Yeah, missed Monday, unfortunately, on my travels, but I'm back ready to talk Marlins. And as far as your guest yesterday, I might be nearly three times his age and hopefully a third as, as good as he is. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, there was some comps being made all over the show yesterday as well by Ryan. I think he had Paul Severino and Tupac somehow connected. So, yeah, impressive stuff. Uh, great episode yesterday. Um, but tons to get into today, mate. Really, you know, yesterday's was straight off. Uh, Sandy Alcantara, another Sandy start, a vintage Sandy 2023 start. Um, perhaps before we get into this Pirate series, maybe we'll just have a kind of quick look back. Um, your reaction to that, you know, Sandy Alcantara start, another head scratcher, mate. This one blow up, you know, blow up inning, it just continues to haunt Sandy. But the the, the point and the problem now is we just don't know when this inning is going to come. But we know it is coming and it keeps coming. It's just so puzzling with Sandy this year, right? It is so strange. We had we had you trying to fight through traffic to go home ready home in time for the game. I'm trying to find a place in a bit about a beer garden to try and watch the game with some juice on my phone. Um, and the first inning occurred, and you're almost thinking, "Well, why have we bothered?" Um, it's it's struggle. It's a struggle, isn't it? It is a case of it's it's not just one thing. I think it is a, a myriad of things. You've got mm. you've got so many things different this year with the World Baseball Classic and with the pitch clock and and with all the all the different changes and, and a lot of people have just carried on and, and moved past it. But for Sandy it seemed to contribute to what so far has been a poor first half. Mm. Um, but I still have faith. I still think that he will turn it around. I think you had that sort of phantom injury, didn't we, um, somewhere in the season? And yeah. it might just be a case of it could just be a bit of dead arm that he's he's pitching through, um, which I hope isn't the case because it would be nice for him to actually get some time to rest and come back strong. And I think that's what the All-Star break should hopefully do. It's a reset, isn't it? And I think that's what he needs right now. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think just more generally, like this, this isn't a Sandy Alcantara specific issue, to be honest with you. This is like across the league, 
there are stud pitchers that are struggling mightily in 2023. And they, they, you know, like they've never struggled before. So to your point, like it's hard to put your finger on something because fundamentally so many things have changed all at the same time in terms of shift, pitch clock, um, WBC, you know, for Sandy, it was like, again, another career high in innings, I think, and a Cy Young. So like, there's a kind of, you know, you know, come down perhaps for that for him particularly, but you know, we're seeing up and down the league so many studs just kind of struggling, really. And so it's going to be interesting to see in the second half how they adapt. Craig Mish is kind of out there saying, listen, Sandy's going to make people look silly in the second half. And all receipts will be kept on that. No no Sandy slander from me. It is frustrating as a fan because fundamentally we're fans first. And as a fan, it's frustrating to see what is happening. But, you know, it isn't slandering Sandy at this point. It's just, we're just uncertain about what the issue is. And, you know, I think to what I have seen is the BABIP is, or the FIP maybe, is really low in comparison to the ERA. So, you, you know, in effect, it's the same kind of thinking really where you've got an ERA over five and a FIP of like, you know, 3.5. So fundamentally, Sandy is probably having a bit of, bit of tough luck. And I would say as a ground baller, predominant ground baller, you would assume that the shift changes would impact Sandy, perhaps more than most. So I don't know, mate, there's just so many things. I think the point you called and the, the language you used, the description, a myriad. I mean, what a word, by the way. So I've never even, I've never used that word live on air, I don't think before. So well done for throwing that one in. But I don't know, mate, if, if you had one thing to say, do you think it is more likely the shift, the pitch clock, or just as you said, just a combination of all these factors? I think it is a combination. I mean, if I looked at the stats and wanted to find a reason why his ERA is that much higher than his FIP, it would be the, the left on base. So sixty, he is well known for getting those ground ball double plays and getting out of innings. And I think we got used to that. And I mean, a 75 yeah. to 80% left on base from him for his career is huge. Uh, this year is down to sixty percent, so I think it is just yeah. a case of the he's getting he's yeah it's a death by paper cuts, isn't it? it, it that one big inning where something doesn't go his way, uh, and I think that's just basically what it is. It is almost he's having one unlucky inning mm. in every single game, and because the rest of the game is great. Yeah, um, yesterday he was he really was, wasn't he? Like he, it was, was, he completely vintage. turned it back, and it, the the problem is you can't have five, six innings of vintage Sandy and then that one blow-up, especially mm. with this team. I no. know the offense has been better this year, but they're still not, you know, they're still not knocking the cover off the ball every every night. So five runs early used to be a death nail and the game you just turn it off and that's it. Come back yeah tomorrow. You're sticking yep. with the games and still seeing Sandy work through those issues. But the game, you know, you know you're you're playing well, you're literally playing from behind there. Literally. And we all know, we all know the 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 watermark really with the Marlins of where you feel confident or comfortable that they have a chance to come back. And it's down by four. That's their specialism. If it's five, and yesterday was five in that second inning, you do start a wobble. And to your point, though, we are as fans viewing it differently this year. In old world, you know, that was a, a midday game for the majority of our listeners. And, you know, old world, that is just a straight-up turn-off. And I do feel like more people will 
stick with these games longer because they know the offense can piece it. And to be honest with you, they had some opportunities late in that game. Like they obviously got it back to um, five, two, then it was five, three. Um, but also opportunities were missed in that, in that inning as well, where it went to five, three, you were thinking, Oh my, Oh my days, could the Marlins tie it up? Then obviously they give up the bomb to go six, three, and it kind of just took the wind out of the sails a touch, but the Marlins down 5-0, and actually they still had some opportunities in that game, which I think is really encouraging. It's been just the MO of this team all the way through, and that's part of the reason they're in this spot. They've just never quit, and they've found ways to get dubs in most improbable situations. And to me, that is the big big difference from this year to years past, mate, that they have that in them. And historically, we just haven't seen that at all, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, there were words from Coop in an interview saying that this is this is a new thing for him this year, that idea of this team can go and win these games and they're being given that confidence. And I mm. think, yeah, I, I don't want to I don't want to dump on Mattingly, but <laughs> to a certain degree, the, this this clubhouse has completely changed this year. And it might not just be because it's it's skip over Mattingly. It might just be new voice. Sometimes you just need yep. that new voice to come in, rah rah guy, and and set. Set, he, he set his own rules at the very beginning and laid out how he's going to run the team. And that new voice, that new structure, is, is clearly completely changed the clubhouse and this team. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, a lot of people pointed to Skip, but it's not just Skip. It's his coaching staff. And, I mean, one of the storylines thus far this year is just John Jay getting absolutely obliterated at first base as well by Lewis Arias. It's one of the funniest things going. And it was one of them that was kind of happening. And you'd see it. And you'd kind of not even, it wouldn't register. But now that it's been really highlighted in the last week or so, that these like Ric Flair chops are happening to John Jay, like it's it's just hysterical now as well. But just the whole coaching staff, and to the point as well, it's even to like the video guy who's absolutely pulling a blinder, like the best video guy for replay calling out there, um, where he's his ratio is like insane. And it's just like, all of these guys, everyone's just, you know, stepped up and, you know, everyone's playing their part. I must say Brant Brown, I think, is, is helping a lot of the hitters to make some adjustments here and and, and look at things differently. So just as a, as a whole group led by Skip Schumacher, um, I think it's been a, a resounding success. And let's talk about Kim after the ad as well, because I think, you know, this, this was driven by Kim. And a lot of the roster moves seemingly driven by Kim. But what I would say is like this Kim or Skip, in my, in, when I listen to Bruce Sherman anyway, and the way I listen to Skip Schumacher and the way I listen to Kim speak about how things went down, the, the vibe I get is this was Kim's guy. This was effectively Kim's hire. She was sold on Skip immediately. And then she had to sell him to the rest. And she, she identified the talent sold it to the bosses, got the green light, made it happen. Skip was happy to accept. And here we are right now. So for Kim, I think she did a stellar job with this one. So let's talk about Kim Ang as well and her future with the Marlins, of course, because it is contract year Kim, of course. Before we do that, though, guys, it's time to let you know about our good friends over at Bird Dogs. Yes, sir. And the sexy graphics are up. Guys, listen, it is short season shorts season, not short season, short season. And bird dogs are there to make you look good. They've got the stretch khaki shorts that are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh 
and leg to give you that truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular regular shorts that are made of that, you know, stiff, restricting cotton. No good. No good. Bird Dogs fixed it by inventing the cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. And Bird Dogs, they also use an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. What have you got to do? How do I get in on the action? Easy. You go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB. And with that, you get a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on MLB for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you that. All right, then, Sean, this is not on the rundown. Nothing that we've covered thus far was on the rundown. So we'll get to the rundown later. But let's talk about Kim Angme because we've kind of segued into Skip Schumacher and the coaching staff and what they've done. And I think we all have to collectively just acknowledge what, you know, how well Kim has done in general, I would say. Contract year Kim, you know, how do we see this playing out here with the Marlins and Kim Ang? Like, are they going to let it just roll to the end of the year and make a decision? Or perhaps, you know, seeing how things have gone thus far, they look to get something done sooner rather than later. I don't know. Where's your head, head at generally with Kim and also extension, yes or no, and the timing of that? Yeah, for me, I've seen enough. Um, <laughs> Let's go. I, I'm ready to. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a case of the who. A GM is difficult, isn't it? Because you don't really pay attention to other teams' GMs. But it is that case no. of who who you bringing in. And a lot of people that I've interacted with on Twitter have said, "Oh, well, let's see what she does at the trade deadline." In my eyes, you know, this isn't just how the results of this season go. It's not the win loss record. It's not whether or not they make the playoffs or not. It's what she's built. She's built a team that is going to be a buyer. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. In September, in August, September. It's it is a case of this team is exciting. And there are very few decisions that she made. And let's be very clear on the decisions that she made and the decisions that were made by Jeter. There's very few decisions that she's made that have gone wrong. And in fact, there are a, a myriad of uh, moves that she has made that have looked good. Um, I mean, Arias at the moment, obviously, is is top of that list right now. Mm-hmm. But Skip's probably number two on that list. And I think you're right. It was her call, very much her decision. And, mm-hmm. and for me, the reason why the deal needs to be done as soon as possible is because in the off-season, the Marlins and Kim are going to have to extend Skip. Because he only he only has one year left on his contract after this year. And if I'm Skip, the way that I've taken over this team, the way that I've built this winning mentality, I don't mm. want to go into a season as you know, a non-extended manager. And you better believe that the Cardinals and many other teams would snap him up in an instant. Yeah. So he's not going to go in with a lamed up one-year contract not knowing what his future is, especially when he's moved himself away from his family and and he he's going to want to have some kind of control some kind of you know safety net of having that extension and i think kim going into the off season not knowing what she's going to be doing mm. can't work on that deal until that's done so for me bruce needs to that's that's first order of business get that done get get ang signed up um it's it's as simple as that 
It makes it makes a ton of sense, though, right? It all starts there with Kim. Get it done. Get it done early. We've seen enough. She's more than proven herself. And actually, this offseason is really interesting, though, right? Because, you know, we've been trending towards this situation the last couple of years. Like, it was still back end of rebuild and a couple of down years, it's fair to say, and disappointing seasons. But now it's finally starting to show the fruits, let's say. But the other, the interesting bit is heading into this offseason, there's, there's a number of quite significant free agents that are a big part of this roster right now, particularly on the offensive side. And so this offseason is going to be big for the Marlins. Like, no matter what happens this year, let's hope they, they continue to you know, push the ticket here. Um, maybe they, they're aggressive in the deadline. And so some of those questions that I have right now may be answered anyway by the deadline moves because you know maybe the Marlins won't just be purely in the rental market and we'll be looking for like the Starling Marte market they were in a few years ago where multiple years of control but on the face of it there's going to be a lot to do this offseason and for me I I've got total faith in Kim Ang and I think the point you made about Skip Schumacher is totally valid as well mate like we've seen enough with Skip as well like we've seen enough let's you know let's align the two you know, you align Kim and Skip with the, you know, whatever length of deal you're looking at, an extra three years, whatever it might be, align them. If they're happy and their working relationship is good, just sync them together and just go, listen, this is Skip and Kim. They're completely aligned. Let's go. And I think it just, it just takes the conversation away, lets everyone know where they're at. And from there, they can just start to do their best work and focus on, on the, the job at hand, which is sizable, as I mentioned, um, in the offseason. Just on that, mate, I mean, I wasn't going to talk about the deadline yet. It was still a touch early. It was still like five, six weeks away, five and a half weeks. Um, But I do wonder, and it kind of does take me to the Braxton Garrett emergence. So the first sprinkling of resonance with the the agenda I put up. So this has been a segue episode, no doubt. But why that's up there is Braxton Garrett has emerged this year, in my opinion. He is... Not just in my opinion, like he's emerged. So the numbers are showing us that the Braxton Garrett is a legit rotation piece for the Marlins. Zuri Perez has done the same. And with them, them two guys emerging, and Sandy's obviously still around, Lazardo's still around. Um, I do wonder if all of a sudden that creates an opportunity to maybe trade away one of the big league arms to go in search of a of a, of a controllable bat as we head into the rest of this year and into next year and beyond. And I think the name that obviously pops is likely Trevor Rogers due to the control. And there's obviously teams that are interested in Trevor back at the deadline, back in the off season. There's people that like Trevor and, you know, he has a sizable market. So I do wonder if, you know, with those arms emerging, whether they look to do something at this deadline using maybe Trevor Rogers as a headline piece for a deal. I don't know. They may just think, listen, we need all the arms we can get. But with that being said, I think it's possible they could go down that route to try and plug not just a gap this year with a big stick, but also something that's controllable for at least next year or beyond. What about you? I think it'd be bold. I think it'd be very bold. bold. Yeah, it would. Uh, I think that the miners right now are in a situation where They've got some question marks. We're not quite sure what we're going to get from Rogers when he returns. We've got even more question marks over Cueto. 
Um, I'm going to bring him up just to stop you from bringing him up. There's Sixto Sanchez down there somewhere. Uh, but no, <laughs> in, in my eyes, the Marlins might even need to add an arm. We've just spoke about Brax and how good he has been, but he's his seasonal max is 120 innings. He yeah. threw 80 odd last year. He, he, 150 is going to be a stretch, I'd say. Um, anything beyond that is definitely a stretch. We know what where we are with Irvi. He's probably got 40, 60 innings left in him as well to, yeah. to be safe. I think the Marlins are, again, as I've said this a lot, the Marlins are going to get themselves in a situation where they do need those extra arms. Otherwise, Hoeing and, and <laughs> Big Dan Castano could be regulars in the rotation, and that just doesn't yeah. sound like a playoff team going through September to me. Um, I would sooner see them make a move to, to add an arm than lose yeah. an arm. And I think the offensive upgrades that they're going to bring in, I think they do need to make a sizable move. You can't just go and get a couple of rentals that are 100 WRC plus average guys. I think they do need to go and get a, a big bat. Mm. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it's at the moment it's still too early. We haven't got enough teams that have risen to the top and, and sunk to the bottom for yeah. us to work out who's buyers and sellers. But Losing an arm for me at this point, until we know what we're getting back from the guys returning, just sounds risky. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Um, Braxton Garrett in particular, like it, clearly the Uri Perez situation, we're all acutely aware of that situation. And the fact is, the Marlins had a decision to make. They've had to pause that decision and keep rolling Yuri Perez out there. And it's absolutely glorious, but at some point, he's going to run out of bullets. And it's not even going to be August, um, you know, or mid-August. And you think, oh, man, there's still another six to eight weeks of a season, hopefully, left here for the Marlins. And potentially one of their best arms is unavailable because they have to shut him down. So it's a it's a great point. You know, really, probably the focus right now is working Cueto and Trevor Rogers back into the mix to give them some some arms and some length. Because to you and, and to your point, like, you know, hoeing. For as good as he was the last time out, and he's going to be starting again in this series. They're going to go and look for the perfection outing again, uh, which he, that he provided last time. That him and Brazaban for those six innings, glorious. But you know they're going to ask for it again against the Pirates. Let's see what he can do. Um, but it doesn't feel overly sustainable, which I think is the point you're getting at. Then you're into Dankastano territory, and you truly are. And he is working his way back too. But again, as the Marlins start to ramp up, ideally towards a postseason run. Next thing is your rotation has Dan Castano and Brian Hoeing in there, and you start to lose a bit of confidence about what this team is built to do. So, great point. Jazz Chisholm Jr., um, just speaking about guys that could be back, sounds like he is very much nearing a return. Um, he's had one rehab start, went seven innings worth of play, made a nice grab in center field too, I saw. I don't think he did anything at the plate in that game. I believe he's due to play this evening as well and go another seven. So the Marlins are taking it steady. He's been pretty much six weeks out of action now. Um, gut feel, though, are we seeing him on this road trip when they leave Sunday evening or Monday morning, whatever it might be? Is Jazz on the plane, ready to be activated for this Red Sox series, you think? I think so. I think they'll take this series off in the sense of bringing him back. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, think, I think they said that he's going to go seven today. Um, so it is a case of... the they're clearly going to ease him into this. Mm. You've got a four-game series against the Pirates, and then you've got an away road trip. So, yeah, save him for that. And then 
I think, again, they'll ease him in. I mean, Jonathan Davis has played fantastically in centre field. Yeah. I think the obvious move for me anyway, because I've seen enough of him in the outfield, is Hampson mm. would go down um, and then Jonathan uh, would go on to, onto the bench role, uh, which at the moment, Nike's like, been playing well and, and he's he's been another Marlins success story or another Kim Ang success story when they yeah. first brought him in. We were like, what's this guy really going to do for us? But he's been yeah. super solid. He really has. Like it's it, it's crazy, and I've mentioned it once already this week. Just just how relaxed I feel as a fan watching him in center field. Like, and that, I guess that's the difference with Jazz, right? Maybe you felt the same. Like throughout the year, there was a degree of anxiety about watching Jazz in center field for various reasons. One of them is we don't want him to get hurt, and obviously we we were snake bitten on that in a freak play. But also, like there was some agricultural play out there as well. It, it's it's you know you just can't get away from that. There was some misplayed balls from a guy that was learning the position on the fly. And did any of them cost the Marlins games? I don't think so um, in the general scheme. And then he really picked it up. But Jonathan Davis just being out there, like it just looks and feels different as a fan to me. Do you feel the same way or is this just my anxiety levels at this point? <laughs> no, the defense has been has been really good. And you're right, you, you feel comfortable, you feel safe. It is a case of you see a ball knocked up into the outfield and you think, oh, here, oh no, here we go again. What's going to happen here? It, yeah. You can tell normally or off the bat that's that's going to be an out, and and with Davis that it's an out. With Jazz from time to time, or sometimes when it was Jesus Sanchez, you didn't have that that comfort in no. in their defensive abilities. Um, and yeah, when Davis came over, my I remember talking to you and saying, "I don't care if he hits or not. I just need that solid defense." Uh, You've yeah, always felt that, Sean. Like that's always been as we've been into this conversation over the past two years. I've been hosting this pod. The, the center field discussion has remained, and you've always been in that camp of listen. I'm glove first. It always felt like you know you you were talking about Kevin Kiermaier back in the day as like would fit the profile. I mean, actually, Kevin Kiermaier still looking amazing in center field. We just saw him up close and personal, and okay with a stick as well. Like he's actually doing pretty well in in, in Toronto. I must say. So you know, it's it's interesting. I, I do wonder, and this is going to be the, the test for Jazz, right? Like all that progress that he made by the reps that he gained. Next thing is you've got no reps for six weeks and your toe is still sore because it will be. Like, uh, are there any major risks here with Jazz in center field? And maybe do the Marlins reevaluate at all? You know, considering how well Jonathan Davis has done out there. I know not he's definitely not on, you know, from an offensive perspective, he's, he's a different threat. And I'm not saying that he's going to displace Jazz overall, but it's, could the Marlins, due to the lack of reps and this injury, maybe reevaluate what they do with Jazz this year? I think we'd have probably heard by now. I think it, yeah. to a certain degree it would make sense. Um, but I think they've they've gone into this this experiment. I keep calling it because it still mm. feels like one. Um, but they've, they've gone into this with the idea that this is what they're going to do going down the line. And and I think yeah, again we'd have heard about it by now. And I think there's there's such an easy fit at the moment. And right now. The Marlins aren't. It isn't the case that they need him back now because they're struggling and they need that back in the lineup. Yeah, he can come back and he can play three, four times a week as a starter. Build up to that. Take some some effort off that body because yeah, as you said, the toe is not going to be right for the rest of the season. No. Whether or not it needs surgery down the line or not, the the toe is not going to be completely right. And in centre field. 
you you don't want to have any thoughts about your body when you're in centre field. You just want no. to need to play, you need to react and play your position. So I'd be interested to see how they ramp him up, and I think it it would it would pay well to take it easy to yeah. begin with. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. I I think it's it's a really good point. They they have a legit centre fielder out there. It's it's not an emergency. We must have him back. They can ease him back in. They've been winning plenty of games without Jazz. Um, and so it's about like getting him comfortable, getting him like back in there. You know, Jazz though, he won't want to be on the bench. And so like it's gonna be interesting to see. But he's been on the bench plenty. He's been around the clubhouse plenty, he's been on the bench plenty, he's been like, you know, one of the main cheerleaders, which is great. You know, Jazz will he'll want to be part of these vibes too, right? Because the vibes, as they say, are high in in Miami right now. Where else there will be high vibes, mate, is in London this weekend. No doubt about it, mate. The Cubs and Cardinals are in. I am on a scouting mission. Kim's texted me and said, get some eyeballs on Cody Bellinger and et al. So we'll see. I'm not even sure if Bellinger's made it across, to be honest with you. But anyway, um, let's move on from that faux pas. Overall, mate, as two UK-based fans of baseball, we're both going to be in attendance um, at London Stadium uh, on Saturday and Sunday, both games. You're also going to be there on Friday for the media BP day as well, um, which will be a great experience, mate. A couple of thousand, um, you know, fans and media guys and et cetera, et cetera. So just overall, mate, I know it's not the Marlins in town, mate, but just how how hyped are you personally? And how big is this more generally in the grand scheme about growing baseball globally, but also in the UK too? Yeah, I mean, it, it, for me, obviously, the, the Cards and the Cubs, it, I'm not overly interested in the game itself. Of course, I am. Yeah. But for me, the, the biggest thing of this weekend is kind of what happened on that Friday, where you've got these core fans of, of, of baseball, and the rest, it'll spill into the Saturday and the Sunday, of course, but mm. you've just got UK fans of baseball and just interacting, mingling, and, and enjoying baseball. The, the, we, yeah. we are all we all have that kindred spirit of we all like baseball. We're all kind of these niche kind of sports fans. Um, so it's great just to catch up with people, have a have a drink, and, and take in a ball game. It's a it's it's going to be a party, and mm. it's just it's just a base a baseball enthusiast's dream of just getting around other baseball fans. And you can be talking to an Orioles fan or a Phillies fan or a Mets fan and just talk about your love yeah. of baseball. The 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 Fan sort of negativity, it doesn't really exist here. I'd happily share a beer with a Mets fan and talk baseball. Oh, yeah. In America, that doesn't happen so often, and it can get a bit sort of uh, vitriolist. Yeah. So, um, but no, for me, it's, it's, it's the experience. It's the party. It's, uh, it's going to be fun for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And for those that were watching on Twitter yesterday and following along as you do, um, speaking about parties and other things like, I've started the com. I'm putting it out right now on the pod. I've started the conversation about heading over to Miami at some point this season, trying to find the right slot and making it happen. But let me just put it out there right now. The conversation has been started. I've started looking at hotels. That's how keen I am. So I need to make it happen for a man that has got two kids, neither of which are that interested in baseball or traveling all the way to Miami, which is a nigh on 10-hour flight. Um, but it's the school summer holidays. It is a tough sell to make this happen. So we'll wait to see. But I wanted to just call it out for everyone that's asking and wondering, 
I've started the conversation. And I'm 40 years old this year, which means I have the power. I have the power to just say, hey, it's my 40th and make it happen. So, Sean, it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. I'm pumped to see you in person for the first time in some time. It's probably been a year. It's been at least a year, yeah, for sure. Maybe even more. Could be more. Is it been more? Would we have done yeah. the last game of the season again? Yeah, I think. Did we do that last year or did we, was that the year before? Might have been the year before, yeah. I think it was. Man, oh, man. So we're, we're overdue, mate. I mean, I know we speak daily. I know we speak weekly for this daily pod, but yeah, it's um, it's going to be fun. That's the, that's the main thing I'm looking forward to. It isn't really the game itself. It's just being around everyone, having fun um, and having a few beers together. Um, just on the uh, on the over-unders, just one final over-under, then we'll get out of here because we are over on time. Um, this was supposed to be a 20-minute extravaganza. Um, over-under on the Saturday for you, over-under three and a half pims consumed by you during the game. Are we talking jugs or are we talking pints? Because it, be, it could be the over for both. We're, <laughs> we're talking the big dogs. They sell the big daddies there in uh, in London Stadium. So I, I didn't know if you were a Pims man or not, but uh, it sounds like you are. If you're hitting the over on jugs, three and a half jugs, which is probably, I mean, there's four pints in a jug. So, you know, that's nigh on 16 pints of Pims. <laughs> that's like a good Saturday night. That's going to be a good saturday um awesome so what this means is um at some point for those listening in i'm going to try and record something over the weekend which won't be that easy to do but i'm hoping to record something in and around the london games just to give you a flavor of what it's like the atmosphere maybe getting a couple of like special special guests and you know cubs cardinals fans i don't know but just want to call it out i'm going to try and piece something together it may not have a youtube version because youtube is really hard it means i have to have camera crew walking around with me which i will not have so there could just be an audio version of that a way to see but with that being said guys it's a four game series against the pirates sean i haven't even asked the question so it's the final question nine losses in a row for the pirates um is this a good time or a bad time to be playing the pirates and after you answer that how do you see this series going in terms of uh, results it, I mean, it's, good. it's got to be said, it's got to be a good time to be playing them. They're not playing well. Four-game series, four-game sweeps are incredibly difficult, no matter who you're playing against. I think the first game against Keller, that he is he's an ace. He is a, le- a legit ace, which is crazy, because I remember when he was the opening day starter, people were like, that's your opening day starter? He's yeah. been really good this year. Yes. If they get game one, I think it'll be a sweep. Oh, my days. Sean Barrett is a changed man. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Barrett is on here talking about extending Kimang and sweeping a four-game series. I can tell he is hyped for the weekend ahead. No doubt about it. I'm sure i got to be honest with you. I feel exactly the same. There is three games. The, the, the barometer of success in this series for the Marlins is three wins. If they get four, that's gravy. But they should be looking for three. The interesting part here in Wrinkle is... When the Marlins a couple of seasons ago went into Pittsburgh looking to deliver a similar result and they got swept on the road, which pretty much tailspun their whole season. I'm very intrigued to see this team, this group, Skip Schumacher's group, can they handle their business? And from what we've seen all year thus far, the Marlins are specialists at handling their business. And that's why this team is good. 
Thanks for making Lockdown Marlins your first listen of the day, guys. It's going to wrap us up for Thursday's episode. Thank you so much to the UK GOAT, Sean Barrett. On a Thursday, feels like a Monday, but it has been a Thursday. And we'll be back, of course, tomorrow, recapping, ideally, ideally, the Marlins taking game one against Mitch Keller. And also looking forward to the weekend ahead, which includes Marlins, but also Cubs Cardinals stuff and myself. Look forward to seeing you then, guys. <coughs>